I'm Jacob Kinberg, and you are listening to Salty Cinema. Welcome to the show. I am sitting in... Where are we? We're in Harbor City, California. Harbor City, California. I am back in Cali, folks. And I am here talking to DP, Director of Photography Extraordinaire, Chris Warren. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. How you doing? I'm doing well. Chris is letting me crash at his place tonight sleeping on the old couch here and uh, we thought we'd chat a little bit about movies what we've seen lately yeah um but first let's get a little little bit of info on chris so we go way back we do do you want to talk about how we met uh yeah I think, uh, was it 2003 or maybe, I think it was 2003. Mm-hmm. We were, uh, card attendants at a Target in Minnesota. Yes. And, uh, I actually didn't meet Jake for the longest time. I think I was working there for like a month or a month and a half. And Jake only worked like one or two days a week because we were both part-timers. And I always heard from the other card attendants, like, oh, you got to talk to this guy, Jake. He's into movies like you. And I'm like, what? And finally, like, we worked, like, one day together, and we just, like, talked about films the entire day. And you, you took the same uh, career development film class that I did, right? Yep. Yep. At, at Rosemont, right? Yeah. High school. So, but you were also really into music. Chris mm-hmm. plays guitar. And we started a band together. Yep. Called Neutral Row. Here we are. Here we go. <laughs> and it was a hard rock band in the style of Audio Slave. Would you say is our closest uh, counter counterpart? I don't know. Maybe maybe Collective Soul. Like there, like, it was. I wish it was like Collective I, I Soul. I mean, it was. It was, it was rock, hard, but it was harder than Collective Soul. It was harder than Collective Soul. It wasn't as funky. As rage, as rage or audio slave. Yeah, it was kind of this. Maybe Creed. Own. Maybe Creed was a maybe, bit, maybe, better. I comparison. think Creed was a big. Uh, yeah, Mark Tremonti was a big. Uh, but influence. I. But I did bring in the. Well, later, actually, in, in the high school version of Neutral Row, I wasn't really doing any rapping. But in college, I started rapping, mm-hmm. so I started bringing that in. And when so when I went to California to go to Biola, Chris moved out there also moved out to California with his family. It's pure coincidence. I didn't follow him. And, and so we were able to keep playing while I was in college. Mm-hmm. And we got to play at the Roxy. Yep, we played at the Whiskey. Whiskey a go-go. And then a couple places around the Inland Empire. Yeah. Um, and there's nowhere for you to listen to that music. We never really uh, were able to, we always had demo recordings. We never did a, legit recording of any of the neutral row music and we tried we tried because there's that there's that one time we went to like your friend's studio at bio or at biola and we tried mm-hmm. to record drums and then we tried to do it digitally with with garage band yeah and uh yeah i mean those songs exist like in in some form in some form. yeah they're but yeah so but we also connected through filmmaking but at the time in high school you weren't planning on being a filmmaker, were you? I was. That is what you wanted to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Since my uh, sophomore year, um, actually, uh, I originally, I actually thought Jerry Bruckheimer was a cinematographer. I, re- <laughs> I read this article somewhere where, like, you know, he would, like, admire these Blackhawks that he just purchased for a film. And I, and I read in some magazine, and, and I was like, oh, man, you know, it described him having his, like, his camera up and taking a picture and just being proud to like have purchased them for like a, a upcoming movie, which was then black Hawk down. Mm-hmm. And it's for some reason I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. It's like photographing uh, the helicopter. And, and I had always played around with, with action figures when I was a kid and like made like action figure films. And uh, so it was something I wanted to do. And when I actually found out that that could be a career, I looked more into it, went to the career center at high school 
pull up this little printout and it's like, oh, you know, it's really tough to do it. And, and uh, you know, you, the chances uh, at making it as a career are really tough. And uh, I was like, well, you know, why not? Like, this sounds fun and it sounds cool. And, and then uh, upon some research, I found out that there was a class offered and then which ended up being the same one that we had taken. And, uh, and at that time, Final Cut was brand new. I think mm-hmm. it was like on like three or four. Yeah. And then uh, filming on mini DV tape. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, those films were terrible <laughs> that I made. Well, so, but, uh, so what, uh, if your family hadn't made the move, what would you have, what were you, what was your plan? What were you going to do? Were you going to stay in Minnesota and try to make movies? Um, I don't know. Like, well, I, I had thought about either attending uh, MCAD, the Minnesota College of Art and Design. Uh, that was, I think, the only known film school to me at the time in Minnesota. I'm sure um, there were probably some others, but that was the most popular. Um, and then with another card attendant friend of ours, Jason, there was this wild talk of him going to um, moving to California at one point with all of us getting a house in the city called Fullerton, California. And he's like, Oh, Chris, I have a film program. And I was like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll move to California. You know, that's, that's where I want to go and make movies. And then eventually my, when my family moved out this way, um, we landed not too far from Fullerton and I actually attended college there to get my film degree. So somehow, in some weird way, just this path that ended mm-hmm. up happening. And so, so what did you think of the film program at Cal State Fullerton? Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I hear it's a lot better now. Um, but uh, then it was definitely what you put into it. Um, a lot of kids go thinking that they want to be directors and have no idea of any other uh, position in the film industry. Mm. Um, and then, because uh, I went to school with kids to where uh, in a couple years, they went from, yeah, I'm going to be a director to, wow, I really like sound mixing or I really like editing. And and then that's what they focused on. Um, whereas I went in already knowing that uh, I wanted to be a cinematographer and work the camera. So okay, what, what brought you to that, though? What made you? What made me? What, what made you home in on? DP, DP as the career. Um, I just really liked image making. Uh, it's from and at the time, like I read a lot of articles and like I was a fan of Robert Rodriguez, so I read his book. Um, uh, where he made El Mariachi like all by himself and everything, and that's he's the reason I made Channel News yeah. when I did because I wanted to make a movie before turning twenty four. Yeah. Um, I guess what I read, um, along the research of wanting to be a DP was, uh, um, you got to work on a lot more projects. Um, a DP, you know, they're not as committed on a project as long as a director, uh, especially if you're a writer director and you write your idea. I mean, it could be, um, what is, what is that period of time? Like seven years was like the standard from like creation to when you can get it out and you got to really love the project and, and would I ever direct? Maybe, like on a bigger scale, but I like the fact that um, I can shoot many different projects within a year, and it could be any anything, you know. And uh, and I get to work with different crews and different people, and uh, um, yeah, I just I just like the I like the fact that it, that being a cinematographer has both the creative aspect to where you got to think like. Uh, okay, this is what the director wants. How can I interpret that visually? So there's that creative side, but then there's also the technical side. Like, okay, um, you know, we got to film a car exploding off of a bridge and like spinning around. How are we going to do this? Like to make it look real. Okay, is there going to be visual effects involved? So then you got to know all that technical stuff with green screen. How do you light it? And so there's there's that technical aspect to the job so it's got its good balance between the technical and the creative and, mm-hmm. and i really like that and i think uh i think that's just kind of what drew me to the job do you think what you learned at cal state fullerton um when it comes to lighting and and how you like did it, did what you learned there give you 
if you could say you have any kind of style as a DP, did it come from that or is it something that you have like developed apart from what they taught you? Um, so Cal State Fullerton's film program was really small in terms of like what you had in, of gear. You didn't have a lot. And, uh, I mean, you'd be lucky to rent out a C-stand, let alone to know how to use one. And, uh, so, um, like we shot on film, so I got to learn on film. That's what was really cool. But since there wasn't really a lot of lighting and there wasn't a lot of instruction on that, it was kind of naturalistic lighting. And I think that really played into a style of what I like. Because now, um, I mean, uh, unless it's a big setup, a lot of it, you know, I, I like to find the natural light that's there and modify that and play that uh, and how, how that's motivated and everything. So, so I think having the limited resources in film school did play a good, uh, good part in, in my style today. So who are, who are your favorite cinematographers? <sighs> the, the, the easy answer and everyone's favorite is Roger Deakins. I mean, uh, he's kind of honed in on that naturalistic, um, really, really dark looking cinematography. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, um, but it's beautiful at the same time. I think, the assassination of Jesse James is one of the most beautiful it is, movies I've ever seen. It's incredible. Like That's, the scene where they're all waiting out in the woods and the train lights just come in mm -hmm. and it just, it's incredible. Or what about the, uh, um, in Sicario when they're all going to go in the tunnels and it's like mm -hmm. that low, uh, sunset or whatever. And it's just, how do you get that imagery? It's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I actually recently just watched, a. No Country for Old Men. I've seen it before, mm -hmm. but it was a long time since I've seen it. I pulled it up, and I mean, that came out in, what, 2007, so it was still shot on film, but the the imagery in that is just incredible. Same thing when, when uh, Josh Brolin's character is being chased by the cartel guys, and it's, uh, like, at dusk or sunset, and, you know, the truck's got its headlights, and it's mm -hmm. all silhouettes, and it, it's beautiful. All right, so Deacons. Um, and then... Uh, I like a commercial DP by the name of Max Goldman. Um, he's his work is um, he likes vintage lenses on on digital sensors, um, and he's got this this really good like dark and dirty style as well. Um, if you've seen any of of his ads, like you would you would know that that's him. And so it's really a um, I really am a fan of his style. He hasn't done any features yet? Not that I know of. Um, but, uh, yeah, just mostly commercial work. Um, I'm sure he's done, like, music videos and other stuff. But uh, prominently, I know him through commercial stuff. Mm -hmm. I know you like Wally Pfister. Wally Pfister a as lot. Well. And he's in the same kind of vein of all, yep. the, like, the natural. Kind Naturalistic, of cinematic looking, but still... Uh, it has a natural feel, but still has like the back lights, the hair lights, and the eye lights, mm. but it looks natural. So, yeah. Okay. So, so far in your career, what are, what are some of the highlights for you? Things that you've, you've shot that you, hmm. One of the, uh, I guess one of the cooler jobs that I got to work with, uh, um, was I did a, a spot for Marvel for uh it was marvel entertainment so their web division um it was a it was a science show kind of a, a mix between like bill and i and mythbusters on like how could superheroes powers realistically happen and, and in this particular case it was in conjunction with ant-man and the wasp which was released last year 2018 cool and uh so that was really cool just being on that side of one of the biggest companies in mm. our industry right now and granted it wasn't the cinematic universe but to be like yeah i work for marvel like yeah. that's something you know that's so awesome. that that was that was a lot of fun um and then uh another cool career highlight was uh i recently i guess i guess we did principal photography in 2017 um i was a camera like a camera operator on a on a feature horror feature uh, severed road and so that in that we had a cane hotter um and then uh he was our he was our big name he he's known for uh playing jason 
mm. in uh, in the, the Friday the Thirteenth series. Um, but uh, that was three weeks in the mountain and a couple weeks uh, in Burbank on sound stages. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and that was the first time where I really was uh, just an operator to mm. where you know I had the uh, first and a second AC with me and and uh, you know being an operator is kind of a kind of a nice job. You know, like you're in the moment, you got to do it right. But you know, you show up. You know the camera is there, ready for you. Um, you know you talk with the DP a little bit, but um, it was it was a nice. Is, is it stressful because if you make a mistake, yeah. or just costing oh, yeah. money every single time? Well, that that's that's the challenge. Is because when you're operating, you're you're you have to implement someone else's style. Mm. You know, it's not me thinking, oh, this is a good frame because the DP I was working for, he had a very specific style to where he wanted singles on the edges of frame to where if you're looking off to the to the right your left ear is on the edge of frame like almost mm-hmm. cut off it's it was really interesting and and sometimes like his haircuts that we'd want with frame were really extreme mm-hmm. and it's like like this is this is not right but i guess there really are no rules <laughs> in filmmaking yeah. but uh yeah so it was it was an adjustment getting used to that so do do what percentage of cinematographers also operate their camera would you say hmm i would say it happens uh i would have to say it's depending on on the type of production Mm -hmm. like in commercial cinematography i think the dp is operating more same with like music videos um I think once you get down to the the bigger budget narratives, um, you have more camera operate like you have you hire operators. Hmm. Um, geez, percentage wise, I couldn't I yeah. I, I couldn't fathom a number at this point. Mm-hmm. So, but so but for features, it's pretty rare that the DP would also operate. Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean. Because I feel like that would, it sounds like it would be difficult to, I mean, I, I know usually they'll work with the same crew over and over, so they know mm-hmm. what the DP wants, but it would be hard to like, you know, have that person find the frame in the way that you would, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like Roger Deakins, he he operates, you know, uh, if, it, if it gets to, um, you know, Steadicam, he's not, but... Uh, but most of the time, like on the dolly or on the on the crane, he's running the wheels, so he's he's doing the operating. Um, Wally Fister, back when he he was a, just a cinematographer, um, he operated. But again, you know, you have your Steadicam operator and your B camera operator. Um, I think he's still when he he's moved into directing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think he's kind of that uh, director DP hybrid on on a lot of commercial work and. Uh, I think he's probably probably doing his own operating, um, but then you get you get guys like uh, like Matthew Libatique. Uh He just uh, recently got nominated for Star Is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some handheld sequences that I'm aware of on the stage, but mostly he hired uh, you know an operator uh, Scott Sakamoto. Um, if you don't know who that is, check out his IMDb. He's done all the awesome films lately but uh you know so even in that sense the uh you know hiring an operator allows sometimes like you know yeah you give up that ability to be so close to the frame but then you can really sit back and just you know watch the movie and and make creative choices while we're sitting alongside of a director so yeah do you think with the how awesome cameras are these days like it's become easier to be a dp because the camera does a lot of the work or is it does it really not make a difference like it's still i think it's easier to be a dp um but i think it's much harder to be a uh, paid professional um uh, the the globalization of technology uh um you know, anyone can can buy a camera for, you know, a couple thousand or even cameras that are a few years old. You can get them relatively inexpensive mm-hmm. um, or even on your on your phone. 
uh, film a movie. But um, with that, it's going to create a lot of white noise. Um, it, that can also lower people's standards of like what's good and what's not good because it's like, oh, you know, Jimmy down the street made this ad, you know, for my business. And it looked great and, you know, he was affordable, so I'm going to hire him. Um, so I think it's, it's uh, you can be a DP just by having that camera, but I think you still have to have that experience to really be that professional on, on, Hey, you know, we have 18 setups today. We got to shoot, you know, seven pages and we have 12 hours and we have, you know, talent that's going to be in here for four hours. Then we're bringing in another talent that's not getting here till the night. And, and, you know, we got to shoot one way, then do a turnaround and shoot the other way without, without each talent there. And, but we got to make them feel like they're both there. And so then that's when experience comes in and, okay, I know how to do this. I know how I can light and keep my ratios and the shot choices. And so it's not necessarily the gear that, that there actually is. If you're talented, you know, it's, people are going to see that and recognize that. Mm -hmm. Well, like you were saying with, because you can, you can do so many projects as a DP, that also means that five guys shoot half the movies that come out right like yeah there's those the main guys that get the and then there aren't as many opportunities for other people who want to get in mm -hmm. it's similar with editing you know mm -hmm. like a bunch of guys will cut tons of the movies that come out and it's hard for new editors to get in like what how do you and, and being a dp is something you can do all ages, you know, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can be a 90 year old DP, you know, that's true. Like, that's true. How do you, uh, what is, what is the way to break through all that? I think, I think, uh, I think being bold really helps, you know, um, be, cause it's, it's, it's kind of easy to make something look, good and normal um but i think to really give it a style um you know like like hey i'm gonna shoot at a high iso because i want to bake in the grain for this flashback scene mm -hmm. you know and then i'm you know gonna shoot and this this daylight flashback scene at you know 3200 iso bake in all that noise and then when we're outside shoot it at 2000 kelvin and make it blue you know yeah it could be easily corrected but if you can make some stylistic choices and maybe maybe bake in stuff a little bit more rather than uh giving it over to the editors and in color colorists uh, mm -hmm. to correct back to normal i think uh making some of those bold choices can make you stand out a little bit to to really put your voice and your stamp on on the image that you're creating mm-hmm because I mean, so there are the like, there are the rules of cinematography, mm -hmm. the things that you learn about lighting and stuff, and mm -hmm. and the people that, um, kind of stand out are ones who are finding unique ways to break those rules or mm -hmm. do something different. But everyone's kind of starting from the same. Yeah, yeah. You spend you spend uh, a little bit, you know, of your of career in the beginning to figuring out how to do everything right. Mm -hmm. and making all those mistakes and then you eventually get to that point to where all right now i'm going to break those rules mm -hmm. and and do it wrong but hoping that it works you know doing it wrong intentionally like there's a reason for doing it wrong but is it really wrong <laughs> you know because it's a creative medium how do we know that that's wrong mm -hmm. what's the balance in your experience working with directors, the balance of what you're bringing to how a film looks to what they're kind of contributing and saying, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I'm going for. Are you most of the time just like, okay, this is your, this is your show. Like I'm going to do whatever you want. Or are you like pushing back and trying to assert like your ideas? Um, honestly, it depends on, on the, on the director, um, that I'm working with. If it's, if it's a first time director, um, which I work with a lot here in LA, 
um, I'll sit down with them. And before I kind of like, I may spew off uh, a few ideas I have after reading the script, if it's a project I do want to take on um, just to kind of see where they're at and get a feel for, for what their vision is. But I really want them to, to have some sort of an idea um, because that that's what's so fun about working with a director is that collaboration the filmmaking overall is a collaborative medium mm-hmm. if you can't have that then you know just be a one-man band <laughs> but uh uh like robert rodriguez, like robert rodriguez. <laughs> Light here, I watched Searching. Okay. And I thought it was really interesting. You know, obviously it's kind of gimmicky to think, okay, we're going to do this whole movie on screens. Um, and, you know, I was curious about if that could sustain my attention, but it really did. It really mm-hmm. worked for me. You, did you see it? I did. Yep. Um, and as a, especially from a, <laughs> For a DP, from a DP perspective, what what did you think of it? Well, so yes, I I did I did see the movie Searching. Um, I was really into it. Uh, I thought it was really well done, and um, and it kept my attention. And uh, I think part of the reason was because I wasn't sitting there, kind of kind of removing myself, thinking like, how did they light this? How did mm-hmm. they do this? Like it was it was all content. Mm-hmm. And and a new way to to tell a story. Um, so, I mean, there were scenes that had cameras. You know, they still had webcams and yeah. Well, uh, that that's the thing. They still had to shoot everything. You know, they had to light everything yeah. like you would. But then they're shooting it in very particular styles that have to do with the source. Mm-hmm. You know, but I was I was wondering like what why they decided to do it that way like at any point would they have thought well we could just we're 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 doing all this it, we could just make it like a normal movie or was it like okay we want to do a movie that's all screens and then they came up with an idea that would fit yeah. with that i know? mean yeah it, it, it's a it's a gimmick for sure but it's also just a way to tell a story um Content will always be king, mm-hmm. and uh, but that, I guess that's my question. Do you think that if it wasn't done in that way, if it had been done in a traditional way, would have was it more effective because it was done in that in the way that it was? Yes, yes. Okay, because I think I think it probably would have just fallen along as just another mystery thriller, mm-hmm. suspense, whatever, uh, kidnapping story. Um, not kidnapping story, but. Uh, missing missing person story mm-hmm. um and you know probably would have been okay good you know see it on you know netflix or amazon and passed by it but i think uh you know that goes into the director having a vision to tell a story mm-hmm. and yeah like there were some live action scenes but you're right a lot of it took place on screens you never you know left the computer screen and um you know, that's just one way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, not all movies are ever going to do that because, I mean, how many stories can you tell like that on a screen? Well, I know, I know that that. So the guy, um, the producer, mm-hmm. is a director to Night Watch and other other stuff. But he wants to do. He wants to keep making these screen. I don't know what he if he has a term for it, but like screen movies that are that all take place. So I think. You know, they're gonna continue. This was like the first like testing of well, it. Didn't he do Unfriended, or was that someone else? Because Unfriended was the same kind of kind of thing that took place all like on like a chat room webcams or something. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see Unfriended. Um, I really feel like the first the first five to ten minutes of searching is so good. Like it really gets you right away it's like it, it kind of reminded me of the beginning of up you know like mm-hmm. you follow this you know 
traject this long over the years mm-hmm. kind of family thing and see how it progresses and then it ends, you know, with the on a. I guess I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, it ends on that note. Yeah, yeah, but really sets sets you up and then it's you're invested on an emotional level and then it's a, just a great mystery mm-hmm. after that. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really liked it. Um, I'll be interested to see what other, if other movies like that work. I mean, it's kind of like the found footage thing. Like there are certain, you know, it's a gimmick, but it work. it like, it works for the story. It works for certain stories mm-hmm. and the successful ones have done unique things with the found footage idea, but it to- it definitely got like played out. Like mm-hmm. there were tons of found footage and then it was like, you know, it wasn't unique anymore. What people weren't doing interesting things with it. When someone does, it it does like stand I out. I mean, you know? there's there's still a market. Um I did a found footage horror film in 2013 in Colorado and uh super small budget. I think the budget on it was like 30 or $40,000, but the film got a uh, DVD distribution um, was sold at Walmart. And so, um, and the story was nothing original. It was almost uh, a play by play of Blair, Witch, just, you know, different things happening. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, it had the horror genre going for it to where that's why it's possibly sold. And But, I mean, there was a market. Some distributor saw something in that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if more people start making screen-based films, I just think that's another avenue to tell a story. Um, but eventually, I mean, movie making, it, I guess it could still be movie making, because I mean, I don't know. Like, there's there is that differentiation if you have a camera versus mm-hmm. a screen-based story. Yeah, I guess that's a interesting. Because there's there's a a production company I've I worked for. They're called Space Oddity Films. They uh, uh it's these two two filmmakers. They they write um technology-based film short films, um. And uh, like they did a, a a film like based over Instagram, um, but they actually, believe it or not, I think this was, let's see, Searching came out in 2018. I want to say I worked with them in 2014, and they did a short film based entirely in a Google chat room, hmm. and it was like three three minutes long or four minutes long, and it was the two of them, and they screen captured that. And uh, it like hit some article and like went viral, but um, I mean, I guess it's a short film. You're still watching it, but it was literally just chat chat room stuff. You know, old IM messages like screen mm. name, text, screen name, text, emojis, and like that was it. And uh, but the it was effective. Like when I saw it, I was blown away by it. I was like, wow, this is really good. And it was, I was reading. I was reading. A book almost right. just you know so is is it a film i don't know like <laughs> well one thing like with in the first like 20 minutes of watching searching i was kind of feeling like i was into it but i was also i kept thinking like i hate that like the whole like our our lives would be so much just online you know like mm-hmm. it just it just bugged me the the thought of like you know i was thinking about my daughter and like because you know they, it kind of sets up how the little girl is like creating her own um usernames and uh-huh. whatever and i'm like i don't want rose anywhere near any of it you mm-hmm. know like i don't want a life to be seen and lived online i want a life that is lived in the real world but, yeah but that's that's where we're at. The oasis is happening. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it's an interesting question though about what constitutes a film. I mean, when it's you're a, thinking it's a about movie, those. yeah, a 
a cinematic experience, but I mean, filmmaking, it's, it's storytelling. It's a medium to tell a story, but. Okay. But the difference is I don't want to, I don't want to watch movies. I don't want to watch Instagram movies in Instagram. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to watch things that are create that to me. If it's a film, it needs to play in a theater, in a theater. even if what you're showing me is a computer screen mm-hmm. in that theater. Mm-hmm. That to me, it's still different than people will make things that are particularly for Facebook that is a different thing to me. You know what I mean? How? So, so you saw searching on the plane yeah. right out here. Like, it probably works a lot better on the big screen. Well, I'm getting there's so much to like, yeah, yeah, look of course, at of the of screen, course. you know. But like, since it takes place on a computer screen, yeah, like it's like what well, it is like watching it on a <laughs> well, well, what it, what if I like bought the Blu ray, sat down on my laptop, uh-huh. and like let it play? Like, it looks it, like am I really, am I really there? You know, is, is it become this like meta experience? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah, it's it's. Except for the, you know, cutting in close and zoom ins and true, whatever. it's all over the screen. Yeah, know? and I'm not. That's what I think. If it, <laughs> I think when I first heard what about this idea, I was thinking the whole time, the full screen is like the full desktop. Yeah. view. I don't think I could have done that. Yeah, I think that would have got to me. Yeah, but so he he added enough style to it. Yeah. To to bounce around to help tell the story that you know yeah there's that gimmick idea but it was enough to captivate you and keep it different and fresh yeah and there were obviously a, a few times where it was like okay this would not have no no one's facetiming this conversation yeah you know? yeah but you you were you went along with it i do think and this goes for the found footage thing too found footage started with horror but doesn't have to be just horror that's and, true you know and there i think i'm trying to think it was a film called was a monster that was found uh, footage yeah but that was still kind of thriller-esque okay. like but yeah but you could you could do you could tell lots of types of stories with that conceit mm-hmm. same thing with this screen thing like if if they're able to do different types of genres with it maybe it can be a interesting yeah niche thing you know but it comes down to searching had emotional impact had a good story it had good twists like mm-hmm. it had all the things that that's what i think Content. i think that if you had shot it you're right maybe it wouldn't have like broke through the noise of there's so so many movies but mm-hmm. i think it still would have worked because it was a good yeah you know good story I mean, yeah, that's that's what it always comes down to. Content is king. You know, if you have a good story, it's people are gonna uh, resonate with it somehow. And you know, if it's just a bad film, you know, no one's gonna care for it. No one's gonna, you know, maybe there will be those that want to see it because it's bad. But other than that, you know, it's just gonna fall off the wayside and not be remembered. How important is the cinematography? to a movie being great I because would, if you have all the other things let's say you have you have the best performances the best script but it's shot really poorly can it work i i would say it would make make or break a film but ultimately it kind of depends on on the scenario because I mean, let's take Cloverfield for example. Um, that that introduced a lot of shaky cam at the time, and by no means is it uh, beautiful. It, you know, it's found footage and it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the intent was that it was some guy holding a camera that you're supposed to be there so Mm. it doesn't look necessarily good Mm. but you know but that's that intent you know if they wanted to make it look all nice and flashy with dollies and cranes so yeah but i mean if you have a movie that's you know the titanic but everything is out of focus and you know maybe 
it is like lit poorly. I believe it was just called Titanic, not the, the Titanic. <laughs> okay, so Titanic. <laughs> but like, you know, that movie, yeah, cinematography will make or break it because then, you know, if you're a lead actor, Leonardo DiCaprio is out of focus when he's staring into Kate Winslet's eyes and it's like, what the heck? You know, what am I watching? Mm-hmm. But so I guess it, Yes, it can make or break a film, but it depends on what that story is. Because, yeah, if it's found footage on the boat as it's going down, you know, 1912 found footage. Well, don't you feel like if, if, like, does it, does a movie at that level even exist with bad cinematography? Like, isn't there, isn't pretty much every movie at it, it, coming out of Hollywood, like, there's yeah. a certain level, right? Yeah. It's it's like even in film school, like st- most student films were horrible, but they still most of them looked okay, cinematography wise. I know? mean, i i would I would break it, not break it down. I would go down to a base level of like actor reels. Okay, so say say you're auditioning for this scene as an actor, and I'm recording it on my cell phone. I'm auditioning for a scene. I'm recording it on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if somehow I manifest that audition to where, you know, it's an over-the-shoulder shot and I light it really well, I actually put some effort into it, and you're a casting director or you're a director going through these audition tapes, and you see that, I mean, that in a sense is cinematography, you know, on a casting audition tape. And... You know, the same if it's the same performance, but one for some reason, you know, the nice looking image is going to catch your eye Mm -hmm. and you may gloss over the cell phone looking one. Yeah. And so, I mean, that in the sense that right there shows that, you know, it's the same everything else, but it looks better. So you're going to be attracted to that. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, cinematography makes or breaks a movie. Mm hmm. Have you ever seen a movie that uh, you really enjoyed, but you thought the cinematography was subpar? Hmm. Yeah, there's this indie film once called Channel News. <laughs> really, really love the story. <laughs> I believe that was shot by <laughs> Jacob Kinberg. But yeah, like so many out of focus shots. <laughs> I mean, no, to to seriously answer your question, I mean, uh, not really. I, I just, uh, I think if the look takes me out of it, I I don't really notice because then it's, you know, I'm probably not going to enjoy the story or the acting. Mm. I mean, that's what I really try to watch a film for. Yeah. So. But beyond the, like, handful of the top names of, dps that we like know their names Mm -hmm. can you tell other dps apart or does it all just kind of look like oh that's good professional shooting there that that i think is is when we're starting to fall into like everything kind of looking the same Mm -hmm. you know i i think you're 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 on a um a good point here um, you and I, a long time ago, had this conversation, um, when the 5D and the 7D were really popular in like 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. um, you were, uh, starting to work professionally. And I think you made like a comment to where you can tell a shot on a DSLR and there's so much of it and it just, oh, it all looks the same. Mm. And, um, like 90%, if not more of the big budget movies are being shot on, on the Ari Alexa camera, some sort of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like most movies aside from having a really distinct style, you know, they kind of do look similar. Mm. Yeah. There's going to be that, that variation in terms of, of color grade or like your lens choice. Um, but I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, like action movies, Mm -hmm. you know, they all look the same. Uh, 
But I mean, there are some like, for example, the DP Rob Hardy. He he shot the last Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, I can't remember if they shot it on the Alexis sixty five or not. But one thing about him is that he loves tungsten lighting, and we're in an age where LED is is really taking over, and so he feels that old school tungsten lights you know really help bring out the best in the image and so his differentiation thing that's unique to him is that mm. and you know being being any kind of gaffer or, or electrician on that show you know you're running lots of cable now you know you still have big lights because he's all tungsten fan and i'm sure probably hmi is too but I'm trying to think on what makes Fallout look different from any other action film. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, style of lighting is going to differentiate, but I don't know. I think, I think you have to be bold and really develop your style to be different. Cause I mean, you can tell a Deacon's film when you see it mm -hmm. and he's worked with, you know the Coen brothers a lot. He's worked with uh, um, who else has he worked with? Uh, Sam Mendes. Mm -hmm. You know, like Skyfall. I think is by far the best looking Bond film of all. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you know, there's a reason for that. It's a cinematographer, and the content was king. It was yeah. great. Okay, let me ask the other way. Okay. Can you enjoy a movie just because the cinematography is great? But you hate everything else about it. Hmm. As a as a DP, I know that most people, yeah, just as film goers, I would say cannot. But I'm trying to think. I mean, first the movie First Man that came out. Mm -hmm. um, did you see that? Yep. So I really enjoyed the movie overall. But I think I liked the way it looked more so than the actual story. Because mm -hmm. there were some parts in that movie, at least for me, to where I'm just kind of like, okay, <laughs> I get it. Like, it just it felt a little slow. Yeah. And, but I think the cinematography on that, because it was a different approach to the period film, you know, uh, it was almost like cinema verte documentary style, like following Neil Armstrong. Yeah. And so... So the problem was that Neil Armstrong wasn't a very interesting person to follow. That's true. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, so then how do you make something interesting? You got to go with the cinematography to help boost it. And, you know, they did some cool things to where you're never outside of the rocket ship, you know, the spaceship when it's like, yeah, it was an experience. It was an experience. And so, so the cinematography there made me enjoy that movie more so mm -hmm. because yeah. And I mean, like it was the same director and DP combo as when they did La La Land, which they got nominated for a lot of Oscars for. And then this one, they didn't. Now, is it because of their choices or was the competition just different this year? I mean, I don't know. It just wasn't as good of a, as a Exactly. Movie. I mean, yeah, that's what I was getting at. You said it. I was thinking it. <laughs> no, I mean, but it was an experience. Like, yeah. it was cool to have that kind of feel of what it's like to put you put you in the seat of being inside the rocket and everything but it didn't have a it was it was it was just such a muted performance and and character that you just couldn't can i couldn't connect it so l let me ask you this did you see bohemian rhapsody yes so that right there was it you know let me ask the same question you asked me like was it cinematography that made that film or was it the content and the acting? It was. And like what? That was just everything. How do you, yeah. How do you not have an enjoyable time with that movie? Cause yeah. it's just like, you know, amazing music, amazing character. Just I mean, fun. But the, I mean, but cinematography wise, like there was there really a look to it. I mean, it was cool that they recreated the Live Aid <laughs> concert. Yeah. And, you know, they shot large that was, format. That was very. That sequence was very impressive. Shot for shot, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, I don't think there was anything like you know crazy impressive about the cinematography, but 
the whole package was just slick could anyone have shot that movie like any of the big name guys have shot that movie yeah i couldn't have told you who shot it yeah so that yeah it goes back to content okay what what would you say what was the what was the most beautiful movie you saw in 2018 Hmm. I need to go back and look at my list of movies that Nothing I saw. Nothing jump, jumps out at you as like. I have to remember what I saw. Impressive. I mean, I I know I was just like saying Fallout looked like a lot of other action movies, but Mission Impossible Fallout was really beautiful. Like mm-hmm. it, the action sequences and everything. Uh, have you seen that one? Of course. So I mean. When they're jumping out of the plane, you know, and going into that lightning storm, I know there's some visual effects in there, but like that's cool. And then, of course, the ending climactic scene on the side of the mountain, you know, mm-hmm. like, how do you like go about shooting that? Like, that was cool. Um, geez, what else was really cool that impressed me? One I really liked the the look was uh, the movie Beautiful Boy. Okay. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen it. So that had a very good um, documentary look to it and uh, really, really good, like, deep, deep contrast, deep blacks. Um, So I liked that look. Um, I was just, uh, I was just thinking, we didn't talk about Emmanuel Lubisky. And he didn't have a movie. This year. This year. No. But he would be another guy that oh. is in that. Uh, yeah, he's he's up there on my my list as well. Um, actually, I, I'm pulling up my my AMC app to see what I saw, uh-huh. and uh, believe it or not, there was this movie that I saw. I don't know if you've seen it yet, and I, I'll say it. You worked with this cinematographer in a way, okay? And I was really impressed with this movie, and I saw oh, this movie. Yes. Because he shot it. Matthias. Yes. I saw Christopher Robin. Yes. And when I saw, and there's uh, another podcast I listened to, which he was on, and this was before he even uh, even got into uh, narrative features. Mm -hmm. And so I knew him, and then plus I knew him through you uh, cutting a documentary in which he shot. Yeah, this is Matthias Koenigweiser. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so when I saw that he shot Christopher Robin, I was like, wow, I really like his style. Yeah, he and is. And did, did you see Christopher I, Robin? No, I haven't seen it. And um, it's it's a beautiful Disney film. <laughs> like, um, like when when Ewan McGregor goes into the woods, I forget what it's called, you know, where like Pooh and Piglet live and everything. Like, just like these like close-ups of leaves and like their hands holding. And it's just, it's really like artsy, but beautiful, but mm-hmm. yet still a, a studio film. That actually impressed me a lot. And I went to see it because of the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the middle of the day showing. My wife was at work. I was like, I'm going to go see a movie. I'm going to go see this. And uh, yeah, I mean, the story overall was okay. But the, the cinematography really, really captivated me there. Mm-hmm.